Today's podcast is recording of the Indian Players presentation at NOICE, the National Association of Indigenous Scholarship at the University of Washington. Thank you to the Duwamish people for sharing their land with us today. We're going to be talking about how one moves about a contemporary workforce with academic degrees. For us, this has to do with gaming. Yes, we have 10 collegiate degrees among us. Yes, we have published papers in the top-ranked academic journals, and we have written books. Yes. We have taught at top-tier universities and we are active participants in our communities as public scholars. And yes, we are gaming geeks. We are Gabriel de Los Angeles, Snoqualmie, and a doctoral student here at the University of Washington in the College of Education. Dr. Jonathan Tomhave, Hidatsa, and a lecturer at the University of Washington and at Bellevue College. On Skype, who you'll be hearing from shortly, is Tyler Prather. He lives in Winnipeg. He's Blackfoot, and he got his BA here at the University of Washington recently, and hopes to be going back to graduate school shortly. And myself, Dr. Jeanette Wishnell, Anishinaabe, Irish and French. I'm a lecturer here at the University of Washington. What we're going to share with you today is the collaborative work we are doing that combines all of this stuff into public products that entertain and educate. Um, excuse me for reading and speaking fast, we have a lot of stuff to cover in 20 minutes. First, I would like to share with you just a little bit about how we bring our indigeneity and our social equity skills with us into the gaming aspect of popular culture. Then you'll hear from Jonathan Gabe, and hopefully we'll be able to get Tyler live. Um, right now on my computer, I can hear him but he can't hear us, so keep your fingers crossed. Each of us is both a gaming adept and a scholastic adept. Two of the ways we have chosen to use these knowledges and skills are one, to develop an analytical tool, and two, to create web-based games. First, we'll talk about the analytical tool. Gabe wrote a coding tool uh, that he uses for his research that we are also expanding for the purposes of analyzing, evaluating, and critiquing games from an indigenous perspective. The perspective, or the parameters that we use, the questions that we ask as we look at games and review them on our podcast are, uh, one, what are the choices of gender, age, race, quote unquote, uh, ability that players can use for their in-game character selection and development, and how do these options affect the gameplay? Two, what sorts of abilities 
practices and classes are available to use by the game player. Um, in addition to shooting people dead, what are some of the other things that they can actually do? Three, how are sovereignty, nationhood, and notions of home or our space depicted in the game world and in game play? Four, what are the artistic representations of all of the above? Gender, age, race, ability, practices, sovereignty, or world? Five, how is language used? What languages are spoken? How are the languages and colloquialisms represented in conjunction with visual art and the available character actions? Six, what are ways a player progresses through the game? What assumptions about an ideal storyline and about understandings of reality are presented to the player as they play the game? Examples that we look at include linearity, hierarchy, lateral growth, individuality, cooperation, community, value, competition, transformation, humor, chance, also known as RMG, harmony, time, interconnectivity, consequences, respect, mystery, and creativity within the gaming structure. Seven, we look at how notions of life and alive are presented. Eight, what are the relationships between the player and the game world or the land of the game? And nine, where does knowledge reside in the game? Who or what teaches the player? And what does that relationship look like? Now, if any of you have played games, you know exactly what I'm talking about with all this. And if you haven't played games, I'll recommend that you go to our website, which you see here, and listen to our first podcast. Um, now, I'm not a young person, and I made the effort to write a game. Um, being an educator, however, my game is not very game-like. So if you could click on drawing and the link. There we go. So what I did is um, went into Anthony Truer's book, Anton Truer's book, and wrote out a story, um, which is just a simple point-and-click narrative um, on this game platform. I know I can do other things, but I, I can't even make the computer work. So, uh, Emma, if you could point on one of those words that are in, in uh, there you go. So just click on it. So as you can see, it's your simple point click. It almost looks like a, um, a wiki of some sort. Um, and then you can back up. In this, what I've done is written the story in both in the Shinagaburian and in the English language. So in addition to being uh, having content that is teaching the player about Trickster, um, it's also a language game. And like I said, it's my first effort. Um, now, uh, Jonathan is going to talk to you about some of his work. Thank you. Uh, a bit of background about myself is that my area of interest and focus has been communication, primarily media studies. Um, so a lot of what I bring actually comes from that venue about looking at 
representations of not just Native Americans, but people of color around the world, how they've been represented and misrepresented in, in films and other media outlets. And as some of you may be aware, uh, there was just a deal that was brokered between APTN and a provider out here to actually bring APDN and down to the United States. And then we also have the First Nation Experience, which is broadcast out of, out of uh, San Marino, which is some two really great areas, and we're seeing a lot of media being produced by people around the world that have prepared for social media. However, one of the areas that is still very devoid of any real representation from people of color is still games. I mean, it's, it's true that we tend to be subject to games that have been some extremely problematic uh, characters that have existed within the gaming community, um, like uh, in Custer's Revenge, which is a very disgusting game which you really don't want to see. Um, to uh, characters in Killer Instinct and uh, Street, Street Fighter and so on and so forth, where you know we're hulking, you know, savages or something else like that. Well, anyway, with that, we uh, decided that that where are we in this whole aspect? You know, what is being done? And there have been some small inroads, one of which is extremely significant, called Never Alone. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that game. Well, if you're not, there is a link uh, available on our, our website, and there's a Shoshone game, which unfortunately, the last time we checked, the link was down, so hopefully it's back up, where we're seeing uh, people actually producing games that go beyond the mainstream, that go beyond the alternative. And the reason why that we feel this is very important is because, according to Spill Games, they just did a recent survey, and it is estimated that 1.2 billion people play games out of that 1.2 billion, 700 million play games online. And it really doesn't take much to go to these games to see what is generally represented, okay? The most popular games that are out there. They tend to be very conflict-based. They tend to uh, vilify and demonize the other. They tend to be very hypersexualized. They tend to do all these things. They tend to be a lot of, tend to be a lot of violence. And while there have been games that have been, been produced that actually counter this, they, they, there is a, a mindset out there that anything that challenges these games gets met with, you know, at best, harsh criticism, and at worst, outright threats of uh, rape and murder to people who are making criticism about this. Um, and for us, you know, we've been discussing this, and we were trying to figure out the direction that we wanted to go. And we said, well, why should we just go one direction? Joke to that boy band or whatever it is. It's an unintentional pun. But um, we go, we're all academics, and, and I had a joke that I said a number of years ago that as academics, we write papers and presentations that affect the lives of dozens of people. Yeah. Um, and we're realizing that in order to really engage in this, we need to engage in it on multiple fronts. So this is why we decided to develop this website, this podcast, and eventually expand it to other social media outlets like Twitter. Instagram and other areas so that way we can really start actively engaging with us. Um, and this actually is partially inspired by all of our our concerns and interests in some form of community-based engaged research and scholarship. Uh, for me in particular, it comes from the writings of Ed Fleberg, who wrote this book called Making Social Science Matter. And he did point that that as academics, he says that we should serve the greater good and we should do things that not only are useful for the 
academy, but reasonable for the people that we live and work with. Um, so that's why we're doing this. And we would invite you, we invite you to come and take a look at our website. Eventually we'll have our domain properly driven as something we have right now, and actually help the actively engage with us in this conversation. And now I'll toss it over to you. Thanks, John and Jeanette. So the racial heuristics code that uh, Jeanette had mentioned earlier was just one example of the tools that we are actually creating to examine the games industry and pop culture overall. Uh, we're, we're, we're if, if none of you have heard, or, or some of you may have heard of uh, a, a woman by the name of Anita Sarkeesian, uh, she developed a channel on YouTube called Feminist Frequency and portrayed a number of uh, videos about uh, women in games. And to, to, the, to the detriment of the actions and reactions of game, the, the game players and game industry. Um, definitely showing us that there is a need for establishing equity and equality across the board in production. And the only way to really to, to engage with that, not just as academics, we, we're, we're doing this podcast and this website and trying to go out and review and criticize the games industry because not just because we're gamers, but because we're indigenous people that we want to see ourselves represented in these communities as well, right? So we're driving this need for this research through the lens of indigeneity, through the lens of sovereignty, all for the purpose of highlighting contemporary indigenous popular culture. Culture here, we're not treating it as a trait or categorical attribute. All people live culturally. And so we're going to be carrying that notion, that framework and frame of mind over into um, research that all of us are going to be conducting. Myself, uh, having uh, recently just uh, earlier today uh, done a presentation on live action roleplay and my own personal forms of research there, um, we, we want to be categorizing the different kinds of epistemologies that are being just depicted within games and play because they are places where, where the epistemologies and practices that we learn to have are helping us form them. Because we spend a lot of time playing games as gamers. If there are 1.2 billion online gamers out there, that's a lot of hours being committed to learning outside of a school. If that's the case, we need to be taking more attention and paying more attention to the kinds of games that, that are being produced and the, and the stories and practices that are being replicated over and over and over again. So with, with combining our, our so our own stories and our own origins and our own senses of indigeneity and our philosophies, we're going to be dealing with this through academic lenses through all these degrees. Uh, some, of, some of the commentary of which Tyler, had, or I believe, has, uh, is our next speaker. Yeah? Yeah? Modeling indigenous philosophies and understanding in gaming. How can we bring an indigenous worldview to digital worlds? What can worlds? What can we as a people share while still respecting the traditions and histories of our people? This question then leads us to ask what the risks are and what are the benefits? What we risk bringing indigeneity into gaming is mass access to materials to be appropriated. In a world where information travels far and fast, we risk not being able to fully present worldviews so that anyone who sees or shares them does so with the same respect and tradition that we intended. However, the benefit is, 
we can be at the threshold of this exposure in a world almost untouched by indigenous creators. Though there are many games that have and feature native peoples as protagonist and antagonist, however, those characters are hollow, void of true indigenous insight. Much like the Hollywood Indian, the digital Indian suffers many of the same tired tropes and motifs. The way we can bring indigenous philosophies and understanding into gaming comes in a relatively simple process. Though more difficult in application, the idea is the same. Challenge colonial mindsets that have become the base for the way we game. Much like in stories, heroes are driven by conflict and motivated by wants and needs. And as long as those wants and ambitions are emulated as worthy in a society with colonial mindset, then they will be perpetuated into the gaming world as well. So when we look at it that plainly, it means change the goal of the game. Make it not about killing the enemy because you get X points here and this much gold there. Make the game not about collecting, hoarding, and claiming something because you want it and the world has allowed you to win by being the embodiment of colonialism and capitalism. Tailor games to encourage the player to play as one with an indigenous mind would. Challenge people to change how they play instead of continuing with the same mindset that has been carried with colonized people for centuries. Most of this comes from the player character's motivations, and in this it is driven by the plot created by the game designer. It is on this level that games can be adapted to have indigenous worldviews. Change how we tell the story, and therein you change the player, the plot, and their motivation. And is at this central point it really comes down to story, a base interaction of oral tradition and a model for how knowledge is passed from one to another. Story has always been the methodology, but now we can make gaming the engine that carries that story.